Happy 4th of July. Today, just touching on USC UCLA's big move to the Big Ten. Imani Bates transferring to Eastern Michigan and touching on a few of the NBA free agency moves today. Boom, boom. All my blessings, 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 all my blessings. All right, Darius Garland back to be the leader of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Well, extended, I should say. Five years, $193 million. He has been the leader, the star, the focal point for that squad. And he will be around for quite a bit longer. I believe he's still only 20 years old. He might be 21 now. But the All-Star will be staying in Cleveland for the foreseeable future. The New York Knicks are bringing back center Mitchell Robinson. So he'll be a key piece. Side Jalen Brunson, who they just brought in. R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle. His deal's four years, $60 million. I'm not, quietly, I'm not certain how him and Julius will continue to play together. It's possible Julius Randle will be a trade piece somewhere in the future. Nicholas Batoon returns to the Clippers on a two-year deal, so he'll be back for that squad. Hopefully we'll see a, a real power team in that group moving forward and not another squad that falls apart, similar to the Brooklyn Nets. Patty Mills to the Brooklyn Nets again. He re-signs two years, $14.5 million, so at least he'll be hanging out. Damian Jones, the center, two-year deal to the Los Angeles Lakers to kind of help fill out their roster there. Zubak is getting three years, $33 million to stay with the Clippers. He's a fine uh, regular season player for them right now. Not sure if he'll be able to stay on the floor in a playoff matchup when we tighten up the lineups, and he may not play much of a role as a center on the floor, but we'll see about that. Jalen Smith, center, returns to the Pacers on a two-year deal. Derek Jones Jr., two years, $6.6 million for the Chicago Bulls. That second season is a player option, I believe. He will help fill out that rotation. One of the bigger signings, Gary Payton II, will be leaving Golden State. Three years, $28 million to go to the Portland Trail Blazers. That group might be rounding out pretty decent. Uh, it'll be nice to see if they can compete this year for something other than just a first-round playoff spot. Dwayne Dedman, two years, $9 million to return to the Miami Heat. He has been a solid contributor for that squad. Jay Sean Tate, three years, $22 million to return to the Rockets. It'll be great to see where he falls in rotation with that group. Lonnie Walker the fourth, one of these young guys for the Spurs, who unfortunately doesn't seem to really have a, a staying power at the moment. Um, one year, $6.5 million, so he's just kind of hanging on. Always expected more from him out of Miami. And Davion Reed, two-year deal to return to the Nuggets. The Bucks have been doing well. Javion Carter will return as well on a two-year deal. Uh, don't have the details on that. Wes Matthews, a one-year deal. Not a whole lot of money attached to either of those, so long as Bobby Portis coming back on a relatively cheap. I think he's getting $11 million per year over the next four. That's pretty uh, solid for those guys. Hernane Gomez, who's featured in the Hustle movie with Adam Sandler on Netflix, is getting waived from Utah. So he unfortunately does not have a home at the moment. And those are the major, well, those are most of the moves right now. So it's unfortunate, 
Um, of course, Miles Bridges looking for uh, a big payday. Saginaw, Michigan native domestic charges earlier this week. And um, his wife has come out with public posts on her social media um, that she's been quiet for too long about abuse suffered at his hands. And it is very sad and it's quite graphic. Um, there's descriptions that his children have been around for it as well. Not that he's abused his children, but it's just a very, very sad case. Something that's not always come up in the NBA uh, as often, certainly in the NFL, and they're still sorting through how to deal with different forms of both allegations and then charges and settlements in particular cases. And regardless of how you feel about the Deshaun Watson case with the Cleveland Browns, that's going to have everybody up in arms, whether he's suspended a season or a handful of games, that's just going to be a mess. However, this is just very sad. I don't know of anything prior to this being made public, whether his college career here at Michigan State, not far from where I'm currently recording this, or in his you know, life prior to college or his life in the NBA. So it's very sad for, of course, the recipients of the allegations uh, that have had to go through traumatic events. And I hope that he's able to get right and the family's able to get help. Uh, But it's just a very sad situation. He went from someone who was looking for an NBA contract, possibly hours away, to all of a sudden not having a home, not having a job, not having a career at this particular point with what seems like a very serious, uh, right now allegations of course, but very, very, very serious issues going on in his personal life that seem to be firmly rooted in issues that have been going on for a long time. So prayers out to him and his family. I wouldn't expect to see him on a basketball court anytime soon on that side of things, but of course, on the real life side of uh, these folks, hope everything is able to to kind of be worked through for the sake of, of himself and his wife and his children and everyone involved. The shocking college football news heard this past week, of course, was USC and UCLA joining the Big Ten which seems to throw everything out the window as far as college football expansion is concerned. It's reported that officials from those two schools actually reached out to the Big Ten commissioner and Big Ten officials in order to try and make the move. And Big Ten officials did unanimously vote in order to accept those two universities into the conference. They're expected to do that as soon as 2024. Uh, TV rights expire at the end of the 23 uh, school season, college football season, something like that. Uh, So it could be as soon as 2024. Of course, we're seeing some of those be very fluid as well, the expiration dates on some of that. Uh, Texas and Oklahoma were, of course, the stunning news last summer when they made the announcement that they were going to move to the SEC and that effectively tore apart the Big 12 conference. Well, removing these two from the Pac-12 effectively tears apart that conference, despite the fact that neither one has been competing for championships recently. 
So right now, we're looking at these subtractions to take place in probably two years, even though the TV rights expire at the end of 2023. So that's when they're looking to move. The Pac-12 put out an official statement that they are surprised, saddened, and disappointed to hear of the move. And it just lit the world on fire for that conference. Rumor is that Oregon and Washington look to join the Big Ten as well. But the Big Ten is reportedly waiting to hear back from Notre Dame, who has stayed fiercely independent, but their TV rights are coming up with NBC on renewal in the next couple seasons. And it's possible that they might look to join a power conference finally in the next couple years just to get... Uh, their foot in the door as far as some of these mega TV rights. Because it is looking like, as rumors have been circulating for a few years now, that we're heading towards two mega conferences. Although there's a lot in question with that right now. So let's review here. It's possible that USC and UCLA will be members of the Big Ten before Texas and Oklahoma are members of the SEC. But all of them could be shifted by the year 2023. That's after this upcoming season. And it could certainly happen by 2024. Texas and Oklahoma could actually move in 2025. So that could actually be three years out. Uh, Oregon and Washington looking to move to the Big Ten, but no other decisions there. Other moves that we know are in place. BYU, which is currently an independent. Central Florida, Cincinnati, and Houston will be moving to the Big 12 in the 2024-25 season at the latest. That was the infusion to kind of make up for Oklahoma and Texas moving. But of course, there are no supplement for those two. And uh, the Big 12 is kind of looking like a non-Power 5 conference right now, although that's a, a number that's looking very uneasy right now. Central Florida or UCF, Cincinnati and Houston currently play in the AAC or the American Conference. The American Conference will be gobbling up Alabama Birmingham or UAB, Charlotte, Florida Atlantic, North Texas, Rice, and Texas San Antonio from Conference USA to make up for the losses of Central Florida, Cincinnati, and Houston. And Conference USA in turn will be grabbing up a number of teams that have just moved to Division I or are independent in Jacksonville State, Liberty, New Mexico State, and Sam Houston. And that's looking like a just a hodgepodge right now. The Sun Belt isn't losing anyone, but is looking to add James Madison, Southern Miss, Old Dominion, and Marshall. Uh, some Conference USA teams in there. James Madison just recently moved up to Division One, So a bunch of changes there in what's currently the non-Power 5 and the Power 5, uh, you know, weakening. Just hard to keep track. No changes right now planned for the MAC the Mountain West, and notably the ACC, which is probably looking around right now saying, what the hell are we going to do? We're looking at the Pac-12 and the Big 12 losing a lot of their power, and the Big 10 and the SEC looking like conglomerates right now. So everything is locked in for this upcoming football season, but starting in 23, I think we'll already start to see some shifts, and certainly by 24, everything could be upside down and um, nothing is is set in stone yet as far as when these shifts are for sure going to take place you know everything's not final yet either we could still see more shifts and changes so enjoy your football this season and your basketball this season but know it's going to be really weird coming in 2023 
So what might that look like? Well, the Big Ten, should it keep that name as a placeholder name right now, uh, will effectively, effectively stretch from coast to coast, with Rutgers in New Jersey, of course, USC, UCLA, uh, all the way on the West Coast. And they are looking to round the group out to at least 18, I think, if not 20. But again, all of this is fluid right now. I imagine that at least initially, as soon as they're able to get those teams in, we'll probably have two divisions still to keep travel easier so it'll be fun i think to see a number of different cross country matchups and i think that has a lot of folks concerned Um, but we're also seeing changes in the schedule as far as the acc which has currently stated that it's going to get rid of its divisions starting in 2023 probably although that's also fluid so two seasons from now we could see the acc eliminate their divisions and have a new kind of partially set partially rotating conference schedule well they have three set rivals and they're rotating home and away dates with the other 10 acc teams over four seasons they call it a 3-5-5 football modeling schedule right now. So they're locked into three rivalry games and five home games and five away games, rotating against the other teams in the, in the uh, conference throughout different seasons going forward. So that's their current model. Of course, they could have more teams added by the time they finally get this in place. But the ACC has gotten rid of their divisions and uh, is starting this, this new thing. So it's possible the Big Ten does something similar, where they still lock in rivalries so you don't have to worry about losing your your top matchups if you're Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, something in that kind of vein, or if you're Indiana, Purdue, Illinois, something like that. You still get your key matchups locked in every year, but you may have a rotating schedule as to when you're going to the West Coast and that kind of thing. So just a thought, uh, you're still going to have your key rivalries, I would think, in my model, and I imagine that's how they would start to look at things moving forward. But again, this is all very fluid and I'm excited for it. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing and we know it's going to change moving forward. So you might as well embrace it. It's going to get dicey. We already know the NCAA and the struggle with different colleges and conferences is just a mess right now, especially with NIL involved and no clear rules on that and the actual law involved with that, not just the NCAA governing body. So things are going to be very strange Moving forward, very fluid moving forward, but I am personally excited to have USC and UCLA in the Big Ten. It's very weird, and it's not going to be accepted by a lot of traditionalists, but we aren't in a traditional space anymore. I think eventually, it may be closer to 2030, when everything is kind of sorted out, and it's going to be more on, I think, individual universities discussing with each other, because we're seeing, of course... Conferences starting to fall, so overall leadership as far as conferences, maintaining schools within um, partnership and individual conferences will start to fall apart. And the power different conferences wields obviously starts to vary, especially in the Big 12's case with Texas and Oklahoma leaving. So the Big 12 conference as an entity, you know, their air quotes power is is going to be very fluid and lessened with those uh, colleges leaving. So I think the Conference powers as an entity going to be very different moving forward. Of course, the NCAA commissioner, Mark Emmert, is stepping down in a few years here. So it's possible the NCAA doesn't have as much stay or sway in issues as well. And of course, it's been circulated for a while now that possibly this is the NCAA's downfall 
in the shifting and money and NIL that are involved in all the issues that we have now. So it's hard to project what's going to happen moving forward. It's possible we have the downfall of conferences, certain conferences as entities, the NCAA as a governing body, and we kind of have some kind of new reformed body uh, panel per se to kind of oversee things. I can't necessarily see that going away, but there's going to be some new way of overseeing how colleges play sports, I think, quite frankly. And what the scheduling looks like moving forward is going to be different forever. That's uh, that's what the hard line is going to be. So I like to see something different, and I don't think it's going to mean the end of your traditional games, whether it's Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, Notre Dame, still playing each other annually or every few years, and teams like Florida State, Miami, you know, regional matchups I think you'll still get. I don't think that'll ever go away. But I think we're starting to see the true nationalization of college athletes and universities and college sports. And that includes the freedom of students who play sports or student athletes, as they're known, to make money off of their own names and off of their own production on the field or court and the ability to transfer to another school and play sports there should they choose to do so without having to sit out a season as we've seen the transfer portal become a useful tool for both students and for coaches, of course. The ability for institutions to schedule games as they decide and for students and institutions to do what they feel is best for each of them as individual entities and to work together as well to put a product on the field. And there will certainly be some governing body over that still, I believe. But this is the the full realization of the nationalization of college sports. There'll still be some association, I believe, in conferences because that's how TV money is negotiated. And that's where the real money and profits come from to fund these programs in the grand scheme. But that's the simple way of kind of looking at everything. And things have been status quo for a long time. And different levers are being pulled now to allow more freedoms for both athletes and institutions. And they're kind of pulling away from some of these governing bodies, whether it be the restrictions of being in one conference. Of course, there's money tie-ins to that. This conference may be offering more money. There's more power here. But that's freedom. They're transferring from one conference to another. And some conferences may dissolve because they don't have the strength to stabilize without certain institutions being a part of them. But we may see completely reformatting if it's simply two main entities, conferences with all the power. So things have been status quo for a long time, and there are more freedoms now for players and institutions, and this is just an exercise. But we'll still get to the same number of games, maybe a few more per season. It's not really going to change the on-the-field product. It's all the off-the-field noise. You'll still tune in Saturdays and watch football. And I'm very excited to see what the result is for some of these matchups with your Midwest teams and the West Coast teams. And I'm very interested to see who else hops on board for uh, the Big Ten right now and uh, what some of the other alignments are going to look at. Again, these are mostly projections because everything could change at the drop of the hat. We could see 
Clemson joining, you know, the SEC tomorrow. We could see Notre Dame joining the Big Ten tomorrow. We could see, who knows, someone else joining the Pac-12 as they're looking to stabilize that conference right now in terms of earnings, really. They want to stabilize and maintain that conference and the money that comes in to fund all its members. The other big news was Imani Bates, one of the top prospects since he was 15 years old in college basketball, didn't have a great season last year in Memphis, has had a lot of noise surrounding him as far as his father being around him, being his high school coach, and having a prep school built around him in high school to facilitate his abilities and him just really struggling in his development in high school. And then when getting to Memphis, being really overwhelmed and eventually sitting out the back end of the season with a supposed shoulder injury that seems fabricated, quite frankly. Maybe his shoulder hurt, but it didn't seem severe enough to keep him out of games, and it was big, big news when he decided to transfer to eastern Michigan, back in his hometown of Ypsilanti, Michigan. So he will turn to his grassroots, but he'll be playing for a Mac school, which is not quite bottom of the barrel as far as Division One basketball schools are concerned, because there are about 380 schools in Division One basketball, and I don't know how many conferences at this point, 20-something. So they're kind of uh, lower middle class, if you will, as far as Division One college basketball is concerned. But it's shocking where he ended up. Rumors are it's because of his father's involvement and really being a detriment to his development. Now, Penny Hardaway didn't really seem to want him back at all. He was the youngest member. I believe he was 17 still all of last season on that Memphis team. Jalen Duran, of course, was also a, a star prodigy on that group. Went to the NBA, currently with the Detroit Pistons. But Amani Bates went there to play point guard, which was not his true position. True, very vague, of course, as he's going through different uh, competitive levels through college and then to the NBA. Went to play with Penny because he wanted to learn how to play point guard, and it did not go well for him. Struggled on defense, struggled to shoot at times. Was a turnover, huge turnover monster. Uh, while he was on the floor, Memphis is one of the worst turnover teams in college basketball. And when he was off the floor, they were one of the better uh, teams as far as taking over the ball. He did come back and play in the NCAA tournament and hit a couple shots against Gonzaga, but his career there at Memphis was over at that point. He was originally recruited by, well, he verbally committed to Tom Izzo in Michigan State. He pulled that verbal recruit, of course, recruited by Michigan, Oregon, and a handful of other schools, but ultimately will not go to a Power 5 school or even a fringe... Um, non-Power 5 school, you know, kind of the next level down, maybe the AAC uh, or the um, Big East, but the MAC conference is a step down from either of those by a long shot. Now, he did go to a, a prep school in college his last couple of years at least, and that was uh, formed and funded and put together by his dad, who was his high school coach. I did get a chance to see one of his games, a rivalry game. He had a quiet 42 or 45 points, I believe. I thought he was awesome as a college athlete. actually saw him two nights after coming off a 60-plus point game, so he looked uh, a little worn out to start uh, the game that I saw. But still, looked like a phenomenal player. Memphis obviously was a huge struggle, trying to learn a new position, super young. Seemed like he was uh, coddled quite a bit uh, coming in. 
in high school, and uh, it would be great to see if he could turn it around at a smaller program, humbled, play some defense. It's unfortunate that he's again going to be playing with players that are on a much lower level than his ceiling so he's going to be surrounded by guys that are going to defer to him to shoot and to be the leader and I'm not sure that that's the best situation he really needs to kind of rebuild a number of things first of all his reputation if he hopes to actually get drafted into the NBA lottery pick first round pick certainly aren't on the board at all right now for him sounds like his reputation is not only tattered but destroyed and no one's looking at him as a future NBA right now and he really just needs to kind of start over being the main piece where everyone's looking to you at Eastern Michigan does not seem like the place to be being in his hometown where he was worshipped does not necessarily seem like the place to be either again he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated when he was a sophomore in high school or between a sophomore and junior years of high school he was 14 or 15 years old praised as the next LeBron Magic Johnson Kobe something like that next superstar and it was all downhill from there doesn't seem like great leadership wasn't surrounded by the people in his life that certainly love him but was not set up for success and given the proper support. And besides that, his his measurements don't seem to be super great for a guy of his size. And, you know, he was still growing at that time. So maybe he's, his body just kind of didn't fully mature to what was projected. His development, he just kind of plateaued. So there's certainly more room for growth, but he doesn't have any exceptional NBA measurements at this point, And he's not in an environment that's going to give him the push it need, he needs. Uh, from what it seems. So hoping to see a great player in Imani Bates and a player that makes it to the NBA and a player that will be fantastic contributor, maybe a Piston one day. But right now it is a sad, dire situation where he just needs to show that he can play college basketball at a lower level, period, right now. But I'm excited. I'll get a chance to see him in a few games personally. And uh, Imani Bates, we'll see what happens next. I've got fireworks going off outside my window, so I guess that's my cue to wrap this up. Thanks for uh, tuning in, and I will chat with you later. Happy Ford! All my blessings, all my blessings. 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 I need my blessings every penny. Daily counting every single one, I'm seeing plenty. Level up and watch that beat and turn it to a